The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hey, Johnny. Cool, man. What's going on? We ready to go or what? Okay. two-man power trip of wrestling another edition of who is i am your host jp john pause and with me today the second man in the booth the co-host mr j the doctor himself michael p.s jargo jargo what's going on how you doing today sir i'm, I'm keeping warm pause it's a heat wave here in the great hawkeye state we're finally over freezing for the first time in two weeks so wow. uh pe- people are running around in shorts and a t-shirt and i'm locked up in the basement ready to talk some japanese pro wrestling with my friend john pause let's do it my man yes so today who is the best japanese wrestler of all time it's quite a list for me i know you were saying that uh it's all in your head but to me i wanted to make sure i got everybody down on the list there may be some names that we've forgotten like uh when we we're talking about the greatest gaijins i forgot to mention gary albright so i feel like names always pop in my head afterwards i try to make a list but uh hey it happens and even the horseman episode people reminded me that hey paul roma was an awesome four horseman you know what i mean so i mean there's sometimes you forget stuff well, and I mean, we try to squeeze in so much content. Right. And I mean, especially with this topic, like I'm pretty good on the New Japan stuff. But when you start getting into some of like the All Japan, Dragon Gate, some of the other promotions inside of Japan, I just don't follow them nearly as closely. So there's even a lot of names that, you know, we've heard, but I don't yep. know how many matches I've necessarily seen. So I'm sure that today's episode will be New Japan heavy. So if you are an old school All Japan fan, apologies in advance so want to also mention was doing a couple of polls the four horsemen one got a lot of pub i think it was like 300 something uh, votes or something we tally but pretty good um look at that one a lot of people were interested flair arn tully barry windham 47 percent just beat out the original of flair arn Oli and tully to 40, 47 to 46 percent and then obviously the other the horsemen only had a few votes each but i was like wow very, very close all the way up until the end there. But uh, our choice ended up just barely winning with Wyndham. Well, and I think it's interesting that the people listening to the show are taking into, you know, do I like the more nostalgic value and where it puts us at, you know, mentally and how it made us feel at the time versus, you know, am I looking at it more as a, a modern day wrestling fan and which one had the best work rate, which one, you know, it was about most complimentary. It's, it's interesting seeing the difference inside of the fans. 
So with today, the greatest Japanese wrestlers of all time, let's just start off with Ricky Dozon, just to kind of throw his name out there. He could easily be considered, like we talked about last week with the Gaijins, easily considered the greatest Gaijin, or he could be considered one of the greatest Japanese wrestlers. It's funny because I didn't it's put him in the greatest. Yeah, he's kind of both. It's funny. I didn't put him in the greatest Gaijin list because I, I consider him Japanese. I put him kind of off to the side, but obviously very high up on the list with an asterisk because it's like he's not really Japanese either, but he has to be mentioned. So the biggest legend, arguably, and the biggest draw of all time in Japan was Ricky Dozon. I'm not going to consider him for the list just because of what we talked about. He's a gaijin, he's Japanese. I don't know, but I have to mention him because he's a god. Yeah, I mean, the only unfortunate thing is I wish we had more video footage and that the video footage that we had is better. Um, But I mean, when you start talking about an 87 TV rating, 87% of all the people that had access to watch that show inside of Japan tuned in to watch 87 i mean even the monday night wars you know we're talking sixes sevens and 87 it's just absolutely incredible how much he was absolutely beloved and i feel kind of the same way about baba and anoki where they're, they're kind of on these pedestals all by themselves just because of what they did for japanese professional wrestling not even necessarily just what they did in the ring as great as it was they're when you have the book and it's your promotion and you're the one that's bringing Japanese professional wrestling to the world, you get put on a pedestal. That's just kind of above everything. And then Ricky Dozon is on the pedestal on top of Baba and Inoki. Yes. So as far as like Inoki and Baba, like if you want to start the tree or whatever, the pyramid, Ricky Dozon's on the top. And then those two kind of are the two pillars on the side. Do you put Inoki or Baba as the greatest Japanese wrestler of all time? I mean, they have to be considered, no? I mean, I they absolutely should be considered. I just, I don't. Because it, it just seems like such a, a hugely obvious answer, right? I guess my question to you is when, when you're talking about this list, obviously you know, we, we both would put Ricky Dozon number one. Who do you put number two? Because I put Inoki over Baba, but I could absolutely see where somebody would go the other way. That's a tough one for me, too. It's almost like the Muhammad Ali thing made him such an international star that you have to put him over Baba. But then it's almost like, well, all Japan had all that success. Baba had all that success. NWA world champion a few times over. So it's a tough one, but I would probably give it to Inoki because of the Muhammad Ali stuff. Um, he became more mainstream, became the bigger star. Yeah, I, I think the mainstream thing is is really the key thing for me. Like, I feel like Inoki is a bigger name, even, you know, his legacy after leaving the professional wrestling ring than what Baba is, even though as far as in-ring goes, I may have preferred Baba to Inoki. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, like, the Muhammad Ali thing is absolutely huge for professional wrestling and what it did for professional wrestling. Is it enjoyable to watch? Like, no. I, I think I enjoy watching Baba matches more than I enjoy watching Inoki matches. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. Um, just want to mention uh, Kimura and Akira Maeda as well, just because, you know, huge names, huge lineage in Japan. I don't think that they're the greatest, but I wanted to mention them. Kimura, obviously, uh, is kind of a legend almost for, for judo more than pro wrestling, but still, you know, got to mention him and Maeda just because they're huge legends in the business. Probably not the greatest, but legendary status no doubt about it and there's a lot of those throughout 
that we'll probably talk about like just throughout the show today where it's absolute legends. Are they the greatest? Yeah, probably not, but they're absolute legends that belong on the list. I always wanted to mention this guy, but he doesn't really get considered because he's more of an MMA legend and not really pro wrestling legend, but he did do a lot of pro wrestling. And I always think of Kazushi Sakuraba, probably the greatest MMA fighter of all time. If you think about this guy's fighting three classes out of his weight class for years. So I always right. kind of put him in the category of like, oh, he's definitely one of the greatest MMA fighters. When you start looking at his record and start seeing like towards the end of his career when he's so injured, he lost a lot, kind of erased those. And kind of when he fought out of his weight class, you have to almost consider like, wow, Jesus Christ, why the fuck's he fighting this guy? And like, why is he fighting heavyweights and all this other stuff? So I, I'd love to, to kind of throw him on this list. But pro wrestling wise, he didn't quite reach the uh, the legendary status they did MMA wise. I kind of feel like you could have the same conversation about Ken Shamrock. Mm-hmm. Like if he wasn't doing all of the professional fighting that he was doing, if he would have just been focused on professional wrestling, would his career have been different? Like would the company have gotten more behind him? I think so. It I almost mean, felt like he had one foot in one foot out. Yeah. And kind of the same thing with Shamrock, a bit of the same thing with Minoru Suzuki, who I'm sure that we'll talk about a little bit later on, you know, like Kota Ibushi is even in that kind of category where if they just would have been focused on professional wrestling, the the conversation might be a little bit different. It's very interesting with Sakuraba too, because it's like, get his pro wrestler and then he really considered himself pro wrestler was dominating MMA. Oh, I thought pro wrestling was fake. That's the Japanese. Okay. <laughs> no, you know? Yeah, no. Very, I mean, and that's all in the presentation, right? Like I, and I, I'm still very curious with AEW claim they were going to do it, that they were going to have a more sports like presentation. And I mean, when, when you're starting at the, the ground floor, you know, that you, you've got an awful long way to go, but when I want like a sports like presentation, I'm watching something like New Japan where it's just match, 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 match. And then, you know, you get your backstage comments and a press conference. And it, it's a much more sports like presentation than anything that we see in the West. And it's easier to buy in when you have that kind of a presentation where you, you don't worry about the predetermination of it because it's presented more like a sport with your favorite team. Yep. So really, Guy I thought of immediately. What about the man who dominated all Japan pro wrestling for a long time? What about Jumbo Saruda? Yeah, and Saruda is one of those guys that is he's got to be on the top of the list. And you can just read through the accomplishments and you can quickly understand why. But how many great Saruda matches have you gotten to see, John Paz? Like I I I wish like we had more and better video footage of a lot of these guys, and he's absolutely the top of that list. So I have compilations and stuff, but I wish there was more matches, obviously, on there. I think it was like eight matches, ten matches. It wasn't as many as you like. Like, I have a Steiner Brothers compilation, and it has 65 matches, like, on one disc. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like, like there's so much more footage of other guys. And we're talking about, like, Steiner Brothers in Japan. You know, all, It's just crazy to think, like, man, I wish that some guys that you, like, consider such a legend, such a guy, they're like, man, I want to see more of that guy. It sucks with, sometimes. With, with somebody like Saruta... Somebody who's never seen one of his matches, who do you compare him to? Because I, for me, it's it's kind of the Kurt Angle thing. Hmm, that's a tough one because good, like he was a good striker, but he's a good wrestler. 
Yeah, well, I mean, he was he was an Olympic wrestler, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's got a he's got a pedigree and a background. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and it, 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 everything felt incredibly legit. It, you know, like you're watching somebody like a Shibata, you're watching somebody like a Brock Lesnar, you're watching somebody like a Kurt Angle that just absolutely blend the two styles of Greco-Roman wrestling and professional wrestling into this complete package. It, it's great stuff. I just wish there was more of it and better video footage of it. Absolutely. No doubt about it. So Jumbo was kind of like the guy who we were talking about Hanson too, with all Japan, like they're the mm-hmm. kind of guys that brought up from that one generation of the eighties where all Japan was so dominant to that new generation kind of starting the late eighties and the nineties where these four pillars are coming out of nowhere and going to change the wrestling landscape to the point where guys today are even copying all their moves and trying to do that style. I mean, these guys were amazing. So Misawa, Kawada, Kobashi, Tao, going to mention them all separately, but wanted to mention them all together. And Jumbo was kind of like the forefather to these guys. So once Misawa beats Jumbo, it's like, whoa, shit. Like when it actually means something. Real nowadays, passing of the torch. Nowadays, the passing of the torch is, it's just like non-existent or you don't, you, it's not very clear. This is very clear passing the torch to Misawa. Where does Misawa rank? Cause I have him pretty damn high. I mean, Misawa has got to be like, you know, top four, top five. Right. I mean, the Misawa is one of those guys that even if you've never seen a Misawa match, you have heard of the legend of Misawa, probably within the first six months of, of your pro wrestling fandom in, inside of a modern context, because there's always going to be that guy that you're, you're going to be like, Oh wow. Roman Reigns is so great. Yeah. But have you ever seen Misawa? Like, it, like there's always that guy. And I think when it comes to being a purebred professional wrestler inside of a Japanese context, Misawa might've been the most well-rounded performer of that entire generation it's hard to argue i mean he was just amazing those uh, elbow strikes those forearms if you will i mean just everything he did was so good and, and of course the matches with kawada are legendary matches with kobashi are legendary i mean he's got classic after classic san hansen of course but he's got just so many great matches it's like holy shit this guy is great and i don't pay too much attention to the melter star ratings i kind of used to nowadays it's it's insane like the scale's broken it's completely broken some of the matches that he he has on there like may to me get two stars i mean they're pure shit some of the matches that he gave five stars like almost to an embarrassing level like what the hell is he doing like are these guys paying him i mean that's a different argument for a different day but back when they actually meant something and there was a lot fewer five-star matches and you go back and you look you're like, holy shit, Misawa, Misawa, Misawa. I mean, he had the most, him and Kobashi are just like racking them up. And then you're like, all right, let's see what Melzer's talking about. We're like, wow, these guys are on a different level. I mean, their work rate, if you want to call it that. It's insane. It's insane. Like the way that they're able to, to execute the moves, to get the crowd into it. They miss no more about the quiet Japanese crowds. That doesn't exist during those matches. No. It's just, it's like, holy shit, this guy Misawa is awesome. I got so many compilation stuff from him. I love watching him to this day just because it doesn't get old. It's not like, oh, you know, oh, that's passe or, oh, I don't want to watch uh, DiBiase and Jake the Snake have like a, this boring match where they do rest hold. You know what I mean? Like you don't get that with Masawa matches 20-something no. years later, 30 years later. They're still awesome. And even when he breaks off from All Japan after Baba passes away and starts Noah, 
Um, I, that is a legacy that is going to last forever given the way that he passes away just so abruptly kind of in the middle of the heyday of pro wrestling. Noah, uh, the only negative aspect of that is again, kind of like, you know, the Enoki and Baba thing. When you look at like, you know, the, the year and a half championship reign, with the GHC say, well, it's really easy when it's your promotion. You know right. what I mean? So, so you have to take wins and losses, especially once you get into the Noah thing, eh, a little bit of a grain of salt. Um, but I mean, even all the way up until the end, Masawa was just out there freaking killing it. Love uh, the Noah like rebirth. Cause it's almost like, Oh, all Japan is great. They lose all those guys. Wow, Old Japan kind of stinks now. Right. They're like really headed downhill. Well, Noah out of nowhere is the number one promotion in Japan, and basically on the back of Misawa. So it's like, holy shit! Yep. Like, how did this happen? Because Kawada's not jumping over with him. Kobashi does, but you know, like you're gonna have to create some new stars. You bring Vader back, Scorpio, but Noah was unbelievable. But it's funny to go from one league that's you know headlining the Tokyo Dome and having the biggest shows to okay, Baba dies. The main guy leaves, and then that league becomes gigantic, having 60,000 people at shows and shit like that. I mean, just immense the amount of popularity he had, the following he had, and the amount of loyalty that he had from those Japanese fans. And now to look at pro wrestling Noah and where they kind of are inside of the landscape, on one hand, is very, very sad because they fell so far. Yeah. But on the other note, it's very, very inspiring that, you know, they're getting the platforms opposite of like new Japan pro wrestling, uh, that they have guys like Maru Fuji, that they got guys like Goshi Ozaki that are just out there putting on unbelievable matches. And we're starting to see the rise of pro wrestling Noah once again. And Nakajima. that's really, really encouraging. Yeah. Yep. Nakajima's great. Segura is still out there doing his thing. Noah's still, I mean, they definitely have their stuff. A few years ago, remember the uh, Suzuki gun basically invaded Minoru Suzuki? That was a great run for Noah. So, I mean, they yep. could do stuff and working with New Japan, they'll do stuff to kind of stay relevant for sure. Yeah. And it just seems like it's getting more and more popular. So it's very, very encouraging. So, Misawa is basically a god. There's no doubt about it. But I have some reason. I don't know why. It's one of those things where sometimes you can't explain it or don't know necessarily why i always kind of gravitated towards kawada i don't know why that is uh obviously equals in in many instances to misawa um maybe just as good of a worker maybe i don't know maybe just as charismatic or just just about he kind of had all the tools but for for whatever reason i feel like everybody kind of always leans towards liking misawa more to me kawada's got to be up there as well i how much of that is that feud well, the, number one, the feud, but I mean, just the style, because I, when I think of Kawada, I think of somebody who's was way more of a striker versus yeah. you know, the actual professional wrestling aspect, you know? So it, it felt different because it, it was very much a, a MMA kind of presentation or more like a kickboxing, you know what I mean? Where he's going out there and just beating people up with, you know, punches and kicks and, and shotes and the, the, the whole kitten caboodle. Whereas you get somebody more like a Saruta who's out there wrestling. Yep. I mean, how much, how much of that goes into your preference of a Kawada? I don't know why. I, I just, I, I love the kicks. I think the striking and his kick game and everything. And I, I, maybe that's kind of why, but I was just always like, wow, everyone's kind of leaning Misawa, but maybe I got to go the other direction. Maybe I'm doing a little devil's advocate without even realizing it, but always liked Kawada. I always thought he was so smooth and uh, 
such a great striker. I just loved his offense. How did you feel about the Tai Chi versus Kota Ibushi kick fest? Because I feel like that would have been like right up Kawada's alley. Uh, that was okay. I don't know why. I think that would have been great. Just, I don't know. I'm not really feeling Kota Ibushi. I feel like he's more of an athlete than, than a pure striker. So I wasn't feeling as much. And Tai Chi always to me is not a joke, but never really booked strong where you're like, oh, this guy's dangerous, uh, you know? I, I, I don't know. I feel like that's absolutely turning around here over the course of the last mm-hmm. like year, year and yeah, a half. Yeah, they're trying they're trying to make him not so jokey and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah, especially the tag team with Zack Sabre Jr. Dangerous yeah. Techers. I think I think he's really, really come a long way, but he's very Kawada influenced, Kawada trained. So yeah. I you see a lot of that in Tai Chi, especially when he wants to be more serious versus the the can we drop the stupid microphone thing? <laughs> yeah. Like my God. Yeah. Like everybody knows you ain't singing, bro. Come on. So kind of the third man, in the wheel here, I might put him over Misawa and Kawada. I don't know. Just, he is just such a freaking legend. Uh, I loved him when he came over to the States in 2005, went to one of the shows for ring of honor. I tried to get tickets. To the other one was sold out. But I remember me and my buddies were like clamoring over there. Like, wow, this is unbelievable. Kenta Kobashi's in the States. I know Misawa would eventually come over too, but it's like, holy shit. Kenta Kobashi. Another one of those guys always and has a good match. Always. Especially when it comes to the Western audience, Kobashi probably is the top one on the list, right? Yep. Even though if you look inside of a Japanese context, the, like the, the conversation is to be had. But I think because of the Ring of Honor stuff, he he's so elevated right yeah. it, it, at least inside of the western audience and absolutely like welcomely so right i mean the, the matches inside of roh at that point in his career like a man his age should not have been having those matches yeah that's true and, 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 and it was incredible and even his look, like, you know, the Japanese guys, sometimes, you know, like Ken's case of Saki, I mean, there's some guys that are just like big, monstrous muscle guys. But him, it's like, wow, it's almost like he's got like an American bodybuilder body, but he can do moonsaults smoother than Kurt Angle and Charlotte Flair, but he's way bigger than them. You know what I mean? It's such a good athlete. And I feel like he was so vital to those early days of Ring of Honor, lending them the credibility for the underground pro wrestling fan to buy into guys like Joe. Yep. And and, yep. and kind of establish like, wow, like Ring of Honor is something different. Like you can go watch what WWE is doing and, and yeah, TNA is cool and everything, but it's, it's, it's way more athletic. It's way more choreographed. Did you see what they're doing in Ring of Honor? They're having fights down there. And it's like, wow, this is like old school, old Japan, or this is like Noah yep. here in the States. Wow, Samoa right. Joe is just like those guys, you know, big boy. And, you know, he can throw down. He can have that strong style of stiff matches, snug matches. It was like the perfect fit. Joe Kobashi, and obviously Melter, and rightly so, actually got that one right with five stars. Yeah, and, and it very much, that was the backbone of Ring of Honor becoming a national promotion. Yep, and the crowd is nuts in New yeah, York City. And the day later, tape trading at that time, because it's still pre-internet being what it is today. um, That was probably the first one that it was like, wow, you got to see this, this ring of honor, incredible stuff. Even still in a 2021 context to go back and watch it. Yeah, that's a five-star match. So Akira Tao, of course, is the fourth pillar and kind of just kind of almost gets forgotten. Obviously he gets lumped in there because he's like the fourth guy, but he's like, 
I don't know who whoever would be. Uh, I guess Ringo. No, actually, it would probably be George Harrison's. Like the fourth Beatle, like he almost gets forgotten. And I think how much of it's just the tag team run, right? Like, yeah, it it didn't feel like he got the same singles push as the other pillars. Like he was champion, triple crown champion, but I think it was only for ninety days. When like right. you had title runs back then usually you get you get it for a year or whatever maybe longer i mean usually you get some pretty significant title runs feels like his title run but even shorter than that just felt like he had a really short run with the title yeah and he only got to win the carnival once um the the ghc heavyweight championship once you know like everything kind of felt like a gold, gold watch just for being inside of the conversation yeah, it was almost like we have to give him the title for a right. short amount of Just time. to have him in the lineage. Yeah, yeah. It's like he's got to be considered because he's one of the, uh, the pillars, but he's not going to get a long run. Right. Um, now, this guy might surprise you on here. And I mentioned his uh, protege earlier, Nobuhiko Takada. I love this freaking guy. Uh, he shook up the world in 96 when he beat Muda for the title at the – the January 4th Tokyo Dome show surprising to say the least they did the UFI invasion angle and really went all the way with it I just thought like his matches with Vader were awesome probably not to the fact where he's going to be considered maybe one of the greatest but maybe at one point maybe the most popular and then when pride starts they literally built this promotion off of a pro wrestler versus a Gracie so Hicks and Gracie versus Takata they do it twice obviously Hicks and Gracie kind of has his way with him because Takata's not that great of an MMA guy. Maybe compared to other pro wrestlers, yeah, he's a tough ass and he's awesome. But compared to the M- MMA world, probably uh, not so great. I mean, I think he was four and ten or something. But look at the guys he fought. I mean, it's Hicks, star Hicks, power. Yeah, Hicks and Gracie was. It was like you're a main eventer from pro wrestling. We have yep. to put you in against main event MMA guys. You're probably going to lose. But guess what? So what? You're the star power. You're the draw. You're the reason why we're getting fifty one thousand people here at an MMA show, which right. wasn't even that popular then. Until Pride, which is way more popular than UFC by by a lot. Oh, yeah. And especially at that point. But it's funny to think like, okay, this pro wrestler is the godfather of MMA really becoming a thing in Japan. And it's damn pro wrestler is awesome, who was super popular in a major draw. It, I think Takata is one of those names that because of his work with the WWF, when WWF was trying to do the junior heavyweight thing, I think he is a name that is going to be higher on the Western audiences list than necessarily the puro Japanese list. Um, yeah. The and- hustle stuff like people don't really consider, I mean, they brought in great wrestlers, no doubt about right. it. But it's not like all Japan, new Japan, Noah at all. Yeah, no, not not at all. But I, I do think Takata absolutely should be mentioned. Um, the other problem that Takata has is being a junior heavyweight. Um, and, and there's a couple of junior heavyweights that are very, very high on my list. But as far as this time period during his heyday inside of the Japanese pro wrestling scene, it was opening middle of the card kind of stuff where they just weren't given the same kind of creative programs that the heavyweights were given. They were more of an attraction versus a, a storyline driven, put asses in seats part of the show. It's crazy to think as popular as new Japan is in you know, the mid nineties, they do the UWFI invasion mm-hmm. and he wins. It's, I don't know. That was pretty shocking. That's like going all the way with booking, pretty damn good booking. And it 
proved to be successful because it did immense business for them. But it's one of those things where it's like, wow, I'm pretty surprised that he went over Muda there. Yeah. And I think that was the, the biggest shock of them all, right? Is especially because Muda at that point is arguably the most popular professional wrestler in the world. And of course, very, very, very high on my list. One of the first few guys I wrote down was great Muda. Is Muda the greatest Japanese wrestler of all time? Think of all the different runs in New Japan being the champion, all Japan's the champion. Noah actually even recently won the G. Still going title. strong, right? Yeah, I mean, crazy. just main evented freaking Wrestle Kingdom night three. Yep. He's, he's the great freaking Muda, right? Do you do you put him very high up in the list? I you have to put him very, very high on the list because the great Muda is one of those names that every pro wrestling fan throughout the entire world knows. Because yep. when you talk about world champions, there's a lot of guys who claim to be the world champion that never leave their freaking country. And yep. Muda became a true global icon, let alone to be doing it for my God, how Muda's got to be coming up on 40 years. Uh, was it 85-ish? Yeah, he's coming up on 40 years in a couple of years, which seems like he was going to retire, but no, now he's still going strong. It's well, crazy. he's he's going as strong as his knees will let him because, I mean, yep. Muda can barely move at this point. I mean, he's had both knees replaced multiple times, and, and now, like, you know, the creepy great Muda walk is just the way yeah. that kaiji muto just walks and in that respect it's 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 kind of sad you know to to watch but i mean the great muda between muda and liger i'm not sure which one i remember seeing first but i think it was probably muda with the sting feud and that would have been my true introduction to japanese professional wrestling just being something completely different than what we were used to seeing here in the united states the what flair did for sting to turn sting into a star i think is widely overstated because i've always felt like it was that feud with muda that really turned sting into that main event player that he would become awesome feud love that feud looking back muda was so good in the states and i think that helped him even get over further in japan like wow like he became a star over there. You didn't know it at first, but then he became a big star. So that helped him big time in Japan. Well, and another name that I'm sure we'll talk about later is Kazuchika Okada. And I, I think what it is, the Japanese wrestlers who do excursions in the United States and learn how to work American TV cameras are at a huge advantage versus the Japanese professional wrestlers who do excursions in like Mexico where the the TV presentation is is not part of the show. It's just absolute freaking chaos. And it's great for like junior heavyweights. But when you're looking at main event players, the guys that work in the States, whether it was great Muda, whether it be Kazushka Okada and learn that TV presentation get over huge in Japan. And I just wish they did it more often to me. You mentioned Okada. We'll talk about him now, I guess. It was like, man, he's so high up my list, but you wouldn't think so because he's right in the middle of his prime. But my God, for the last 10 years, he was one of those guys when like Meltzer started talking like, wow, Tanahashi, Suzuki, you know, a bunch of guys. Wow, New Japan is coming back. So, you, so you're slowly thinking like, all right, you know, Prince David kids like Kenny, like a, a guy on, on everybody's radar. And like, let's see where, where they'll go. Let's see where they're headed. And then all of a sudden Okada came out of nowhere. 
and he had that feud with Tanahashi. He didn't quite win, and then a the year later he wins. You're like, shit, this guy's the man. Like, I don't know what it is, the charisma, his wrestling ability, his look, uh, just everything about him just screams star. And he is able to have a good match with everybody, and not even good match. He's able to have. He's like the Bret Hart. Like he's able to have everybody's best match. To me, I was like, man, Jim Ross saw it, Jeff Jarrett saw it, like all these different people that are saying and talking about it. It's one of those things where not a lot of people talk up like these Japanese stars. They're always like, oh yeah, but when they come to the states, it won't be as popular. No, these guys are like, no, this guy's a god. We should have done more with him. Uh, whatever you can do, bring him over here more. Like AEW knows that they should sign him. It, it seemed like for a while they were teasing him and mentioning him on every show for absolutely no reason whatsoever, other than to try to hint that he's coming in. Or they put the hey. best friends into chaos just yep. so that they would have the connection to Okada. Yep. And then they kept mentioning him. Omega mentions him. He actually pretty much makes Omega a star, really, yep. in, in Japan. Unquestionably. It's just one of those things where it's like, man, this guy is something. He was once in a generation. I know Tanahashi is, is once, <laughs> once in a century, but this guy is once in a generation talent where, like, I'm just amazed. I remember my buddy, I'm like, you got to see this guy, Okada. So, you know, we got all the tapes, we got all the DVDs, we're buying them from, you know, all different forms or whatever. And I was like, this guy is awesome. Like, holy shit. Like, we're almost like understating how great he is. And you can't explain it. There mm-hmm. is something about Okada that is just different. He's got that um, Steve Austin thing about him. Yeah. Th- to me, I compare him to The Rock. Um, there, there, um, there is something. If you are in attendance and you hear, if you smell, that place just erupts and the entire energy of the room just changes when Dwayne enters the room. Right. And I never felt that with anybody else like I did The Rock until I was at All In and heard that coin drop. There's something about Okada that changes the atmosphere in the room and you just cannot take your eyes off of the guy. And I, you don't know what it is. I, I have no idea what it is. He just does everything so incredibly well. And the fact that he is only 34 years old and he already is in the top five greatest professional wrestlers in Japanese history is just incredible and astonishing. The, the push that he has had and the way that he has delivered, he was champion for 720 days. And I never wanted to lose either, which is funny. And like, don't even when he lost that title, he was still the main event. Because he was still freaking Okada. Like, there's just something about the guy that they have to find something for him to do when he doesn't have the title and people hate it every time because he's Okada. He should just be the champion for, like, ever until somebody can somehow find a way to dethrone him because he's that freaking good. He's Hogan of the 80s. Yeah. there's no way to explain it because he doesn't do anything like incredibly flashy. I mean, his gear isn't anything incredibly over the top. I mean, hell he came out wearing an Enoki robe at freaking wrestle kingdom. Right. And it's like the dude is wearing a bathrobe to the ring to go have a five-star match, not just one night, but two, you know, I mean, I, I, I put the Shingo match at four and a half. I had Osprey at five. Um, He's incredible, and he just does every little thing perfectly. And Vince Russo takes all of the credit for it, and Okada gives him all of the credit for it. 
for teaching him how to work American cameras. That's the difference between Okada and everybody else inside of New Japan Pro Wrestling. He always knows where that damn camera is and the facial expression that he needs to make. And he's he's one of the biggest guys on the roster, and you just feel like he's this massive underdog and everything just hurts so much. He's an incredible seller. And did you see the documentary they put out on him a couple of years ago, pause where they were talking about the injuries that Okada has been dealing with. No. And they're like, they're like shooting his knee up with steroids before he walks through the curtain guy can barely walk getting into the arena that coin drops and, and something changes inside of Okada and he's the rainmaker it's incredible. I think he's one of the greatest professional wrestling performers that I've ever seen. And hopefully we have another 10, 15 years of Okada. Oh God. I hope so. Um, so you mentioned Okada got to mention Tanahashi Hiroshi Tanahashi was kind of the precursor. The guy was, you know, he's there during the tough times. And then when it starts getting hot, he's kind of one of the main reasons why it got hot. I mean, he's like the John Cena over there, except for a way better wrestler. Uh, always puts on great matches. To me, Okada Tanahashi, I put well above Okada Omega. I like yeah. the matches more. I like the psychology more. I like the selling more. I like the drama more. Uh, Okada Omega are great. There's no doubt about it. But there's, there's some flair steamboat stuff going on with Okada and Tanahashi and a story of Okada losing and he's upset and he finally comes back the year later. He finally gets to beat him. And then I don't know, just the rivalry through the years. It's like those two together are magic. It's rock. It's Austin. He puts the two best guys in there together. Magic. Boom. It's Hogan. It's Savage. Put them in there together. Magic. I just, I, I absolutely love Tanahashi and he's very, very high on the list too. Together or opposite of one another. Cause mm -hmm. they, they make great tag partners too. Yep. Um, Tanahashi, I, I I love the John Cena comparison because for me that's that's the best comparison to make. Um, New Japan was in real danger of becoming completely irrelevant, and then you know, the new the new triplets show up, whether Tanahashi, Shibata, and Nakamura. The, those three guys really saved New Japan Pro Wrestling. And more so than anybody, Hiroshi Tanahashi. He was the ace. He is the ace. And the story of this young upstart Okada coming and being like, you know, oh, that's cool. You can hand me the torch now. You know, like, I, I'm ready. You can hand me the torch. And Tanahashi now becoming the old man that says, uh-uh, screw you. It's still my torch, and I'm going to carry it for the next 50 years, too. Uh, I like Hiroshi Tanahashi more in 2022 than I did in 2012. Um, I, I just think he has become an absolutely incredible performer as his body has started to break down yeah, a lot of and injuries. he he's had to slow down quite a bit. He's had to become way more cerebral with his matches. And I think it's a better version of Tanahashi than we've ever had. And it seems like the company keeps trying to move away from Tanahashi and Tanahashi keeps saying, Nope. Yeah, not, I'm yeah, not ready. ready yet. Yep. Not ready. I'm, I'm going to go out there and have a five star match with Shingo Takagi on 24 hours notice because, you know, Kota Ibushi can't show up. It's just he he's timeless. He is the ace. And I, I still say when people say, well, what's a dream match for you? I, I need a, a three match series between Hiroshi Tanahashi and John Cena. Like to me, that is the dream match of dream matches for an entire generation. 
I want one in the Tokyo Dome. I want one at WrestleMania and one on Mars because I imagine that's going to be the only venue big enough to hold Hiroshi Tanahashi and John Cena. So when you mentioned Jushin Thunder Liger for, is he up there as far as one of the greatest? Liger, I put in like my top two. Nice. Uh, because I think the influence of Jushin Thunder Liger over the course of his career, the global popularity of Jushin Thunder Liger, I think is very unmatched by most Japanese professional wrestlers. I think if you ask the Japanese professional wrestling audience, they probably would put Tiger Mask over Liger. I think if oh, you ask if you ask Ayama, the, yeah. if you if you ask the global audience, Liger. Liger is the greatest junior heavyweight of all time that's not named Rey Mysterio. You know, I mean it, it's he he's in that conversation and it's because would you, he's would you put Tiger Mask above him or no? I put Liger above Tiger Mask. Okay. Um, and, and it's just because of the global popularity. It, it's Liger did so many runs throughout the United States. I think he's wrestled everywhere at least once. I mean, hell, Tyler Breeze made Jushin Thunder Liger a WWE Hall of Famer in one match. <laughs> in one match. That's how good Tyler Breeze is. Um, but I, Liger is absolutely incredible. The mask you know that, is iconic. The, the whole gimmick is iconic. I, I firmly support making Shota Umino the new Jushin Thunder Liger. Very much like we're on Tiger Mask 4. Give me a new Jushin Liger just to keep that character around because the world was all fine and dandy until Jushin Liger retired. January 4th, of 2020 that's what everything went to hell john pause the right. world cannot handle not having jushin thunder liger inside of a new japan pro wrestling ring i agree it did seem to go to shit after that um another pretty big name i was thinking about what about tenru i know we we briefly mentioned tiger mask but you said liger would probably be above him what about tenru does he he get the respect he deserves i don't think so I, I don't think so. I think especially when you go throughout the 90s, um, when All Japan was so freaking hot, I thought that I don't even know how to how to necessarily explain the drawing power, right? Like you just had to see the matches. And the matches were always freaking incredible. I, I don't think that he gets the respect that he deserves, but I think he's always in the conversation. So maybe. What about Ricky Choshu? Ricky Choshu is one of those guys too, where he, I do you think Choshu would have been higher on the list if we would have gotten more of him, you know, like I absolute legend, but the entire career is only about what? 10, 12 years. Not as long as uh, m many of the other guys on the list. I, it's just the body of work. It, it, I wish we would have gotten more and we would have gotten to see kind of the reinvention and where the character would have went. Um, but when you have a tragedy, like what, what can you do? You know, you just look back and perhaps the, the, the way that he passed adds to the legend and maybe it, it knocks him down the list a little bit too kind of the same thing with hayabusa you know like i i, I, I feel put like put him on my list low on my list but he's on the list too but if it wasn't for the injury if it wasn't for the way things ended 
you know, he might have been top three to five. Yeah, absolutely. So Choshu is a god, legend. Another guy around the same time period lasted a bit longer. Many championship reigns. Tatsumi Fujinami. And, and Fujinami's still showing up. Showing up yeah. at Wrestle Kingdom, throwing people around inside of the Battle Royal, right? He's, I mean, he's a god. And he's one where when you go back and you look throughout the course of the years, WWF you know, influences. One of the first ones that we saw on American television across, you know, nationwide presentation. Um, And there's so much offense that Fujinami brought into the world of professional wrestling that now we just see left and right and nobody thinks anything about it. Um, kind, Kind of the original, like, canyon right where he, he was yep. just the innovator of offense and you're just I mean, even a dragon screw seeing somebody do a dragon screw now it, it just seems commonplace yep but you know, at that time it was like oh my god he just tore that guy's freaking leg off you know everybody does it yeah everybody does it and it looks great no matter who does it it looks great another guy gotta mention arguably just as popular as muda at one point shinya Hashimoto. And I mean, like, is there a more Japanese badass sounding name than Shinya Hashimoto? I mean, it just it yeah. sounds freaking cool, right? Um I was never huge on Hashimoto, and I don't know why. Like, it just felt like everything was a copy of a copy for me. Does that make sense? I guess. Who is he copying? everybody everybody (laughs) like there was what is what is the thing about hashimoto that makes him stand out to you his kicks i think his striking i think was you think because i mean for me he just like everything just kind of blended in like he was one of those guys kind of like we were talking about hiroki goto before we started recording today he also has an awesome look too but i just felt like the company pushed him like he was some kind of big deal and i just never saw it well, the three musketeers he was good. really he was good, but the, I, the three I musketeers really get like that that huge kind of popularity, that huge push. Obviously, Messier Chono, Muda, and, and um Hashimoto. Chono I wanted to mention too, but it was like those guys for some reason always got like the big push, or maybe they got more popular. But you're right. I don't I always thought Muda above Hashimoto, but I know a lot of people online were saying Hashimoto is more popular. I was like, I don't really? Know. Not, yeah, I was like, I'm not feeling that. I yeah, don't think I just so. maybe for that one year when when Muda loses and, and Hashimoto kind of wins back for New Japan, he beats Takata. But I don't know. I always thought Muda over him. Yeah, I always felt like the like Hashimoto was the also ran, you know, yeah. with with, yep. with with Muda and Shono because Muda was like you know just kind of in a class all of his own with the the visual presentation of what he was putting out, and Chono was kind of the the beast in the brawn right like he he was everything like a yakuza about japanese professional wrestling and and then oh yeah and there's hashimoto too you know what yeah. i mean I, I, that's kind of how i felt about it and, and i felt the same way even with the new set of triplets too you know because shibata as, as great as shibata is he was always kind of the also ran you know mm-hmm. what i mean it, it's i wonder just, uh... I wonder if he's going to be wrestling like full time. I wonder what's going on with him. Doesn't seem like it. Man. Him versus Okada again. Holy moly. 
Okay, Here, here's your hot take for the episode. Who? I feel like Ren Narita and Castatori Shibata should both be fired and never allowed to wrestle inside of a Japanese professional wrestling ring again after Why? what they did at Wrestle Kingdom. Why? Because by all accounts, they literally went into business for themselves. It was supposed to be that UWF-style match. It was supposed to be a catch-as-can kind of wrestling match, UWF rules, and then they get out there at Wrestle Kingdom and Shibata says, nope, screw it. We're going to have a regular pro wrestling match. And, and but everybody's understanding that I have heard is those two guys went into business for themselves. I think Sugabayashi needs to put his foot down and say, nope, we're not doing that. You're done. And just like, shut him down. He, he's not supposed to be wrestling? No. No. One punch to the head. If it hits freaking Shibata the wrong way, he's dead. He's dead. Like that injury doesn't go away a subdermal hematoma like they treat it it doesn't like go away one wrong bump and shibata's dead and i don't want to see that and i think sugabayashi should put his foot down and say no no we are not doing that we, we cannot allow you to do that we have to protect you from yourself this is why we kept you away as long as we did you're done at the dojo too like go home wow shit what a hot take there um moving on though let's move on to another guy on my list Yuji Nagata. Nagata is one of those guys, kind of that generation before Tanahashi, where New Japan just like nothing was clicking. Mm. And it, I think Yuji Nagata has more respect now than he had during his prime when he was pretty much carrying New Japan. I And I feel kind of the same way about Kojima, too. Where, like, I think yeah. people respect that they carried the company through that dark time. It was just New Japan was not very good when Nagata was at the top of his game, when Kojima was at the top of their game. Um, I, I feel like people love Grandpa version of Nagata more than they love Nagata when Nagata was Nagata, if that makes any kind of sense whatsoever. Yeah, and I had Kojima on the list, too. But you're right, it was almost like a dead period, and they were, like, the man during this slower time i guess you could say right and, and, and it's no fault of theirs it's just top to bottom the cards were not very good at that time and you're only as good as your dance partner you know and now i feel like that with all of the great talent that came along from really the tanahashi generation on i think we've really gotten to see got the dads as i like to call them over on destino um you know even guys like tenzon you know that IWGP champion, you know, IWGP champion, you know, one of the faces of the company during that period, but his best matches came once he had kind of transitioned into that. I'm moving back down the car dad kind of level um, just because of the level of competition that Tenkozy would find themselves in the ring with. What about Kensuke Sasaki? Because he was like, he was there for the really boom period of popular period. He started becoming a big star then. He had a nice little excursion here in the U.S., nice little yep. mini feud with Sting. He went over there. He's become the IWGP world champion a few times. I feel like he kind of transcended that real popular period. Then he kind of moves over to Noah. You know, he, he, he kind of was in both during very popular periods and was a star all the way around. Yeah, he was absolutely a star, but it always felt like he was part of the package, right? Like, I, I don't know how big of a draw he was by himself. You know what I mean? And it, like w when we talk about guys like Muda, 
Muda would put butts in seats. People would pay to see the great Muda. It was just, you know, Sasaki happened to be on the other side of the ring. And you knew it was going to be really, really good. But I don't know how many people were actually paying to see him. And I feel like that was always kind of the dog on him, you know, kind of like the Triple H thing where, you know, you, you got to have that number two, but he's still number two at the end of the day. So what about another guy kind of like a number two? What about June Akiyama? Yeah, right. And when you talk about some of these names, where they fall on the Western radar for us, I feel like absolutely influences it. And I feel like Yakiyama is one of those guys that was a much bigger deal in Japan versus the way he was ever perceived inside of the West, just because we didn't get him over here. Like if we would have had the NWA connection, if we would have had the WCW connection, like Liger did, like Muda did, mm-hmm. I think he would have been a much, much bigger deal. I feel like I know him and Masawa had some classics. I know him and most of those guys, but it's almost like he was like the young guy that came after all the other guys. And right. yes, he's, he's there when Noah's popular and stuff, but it's almost like he's like the, the afterthought, like the guy that got popular after the guys got so popular. You know what I mean? And how do you think he would have translated inside of the American presentation? Because like that for me has always been my question with Okada, right? Like, I don't feel like you brought up like the idea of AEW signing Kazuchika Okada. I don't think it would work. I don't think people would get it because you can't have the Okada match on American TV. You can't Mm -hmm. have, you know, the 25, 35, 40 minute, you know, interrupted by commercial break with yep. all the drama that comes along with the Kazuchika Okada match. And, and I feel like he's kind of in that same category where you're like, I, I don't know if it would have worked over here the way that it did in Japan. So another guy I have on my list and we kind of briefly mentioned before, but what about Minoru Suzuki? Suzuki might be, the most influential professional wrestler of a generation that nobody knows that Minoru Suzuki influenced because of what Suzuki did with Pancrase and bringing mixed martial arts kind of into the limelight. Like Suzuki versus Shamrock is some of the craziest stuff that you've ever seen. If you're a fan of old school MMA, but I feel like Suzuki especially over the course of maybe the last five years or so has kind of reinvented himself from like somehow like Minoru Suzuki didn't become stone cold Steve Austin until he was like 45 years old. Like he was just this terrifying man that would twist you into pretzels and, and yeah, his and, crime and, came so late, like wrestling wise anyway, not right. MMA. You know, it, it, it's kind of crazy to look at, Suzuki now and imagine if we would have had the Suzuki that we have now like even 10 years ago you probably would have been talking about an IWGP world champion but instead Suzuki filled a different role on the card and Suzuki Goon was kind of like the original like they were the Yakuza like that was literally the gimmick even when they went to pro wrestling Noah and maybe that was kind of the start of it 
where mm-hmm. like Suzuki just kind of entered into this legendary boogeyman kind of status. And then upon his return to New Japan Pro Wrestling with all the new eyes that were on New Japan Pro Wrestling, he just kind of elevated himself to a whole other level of star. And I think we all see it. We all want to see like Suzuki get that kind of run and they just won't give it to him. So there's a couple other guys on my list, not really high or anything, just guys that I liked that um, I just wanted to put on the list. Kenta, Marafuji. Great Sasuke, Ultimo Dragon, Onita, Chinsei Shinsaki, Fujita, who I loved. Um, and then did I mention Tetsuya Naito? If I just wanted to put him on there, I don't really consider him up there, but he's got to be considered like that second tier. And then another guy who I don't consider up there, but I wanted to make a point, Nakamura. See, when WB made the big signings, you know, they took away Gallows and Anderson. That was big. They took away AJ, mm-hmm. took away Nakamura. To me, it was like, okay, the big four, Okada, Tanahashi, uh, AJ, and Nakamura at that point. So it's like, okay, they took away two of the top four. But little did they know, they took away three and four to me. Okada, Tanahashi, one and two by a mile. I always thought that was funny. People were like, oh, Nakamura is the best. And I feel like, like you guys missed it. Okada was the best. Not that you could have signed yeah. him, but you missed the best guy. You thought it was Nakamura, but it wasn't. I feel like he's a step below Tanahashi even. I think they signed Nakamura because of the match with AJ. Yeah. I like I you feel like when they showed Vince AJ Styles, it was the Nakamura match, and Vince was like, I want them both. Um Nakamura for me is a really, really interesting case because when Shinsuke Nakamura decides that Shinsuke Nakamura is motivated. He is one of the best professional wrestlers that I've ever seen in my life. The problem is I don't see that Shinsuke Nakamura very often. And New Japan Pro Wrestling didn't see that Nakamura nearly as often as they wanted to. They saw it with Tanahashi. Tanahashi would always go out there and burn the place down. Nakamura was kind of lazy. Um, it, and he would turn it on when he needed to, like for G1, for Wrestle Kingdom, and then he would yeah. just kind of fade into the scenery the rest of the time. Um, and he didn't really put out his best efforts. He's but, awesome, no doubt. But to me, I, he doesn't. He's not Okada. He's not Tanahashi. And when Okada happened, Nakamura got jumped inside of the pecking order. And I think Nakamura kind of saw the writing on the wall and knew that he was never going to be Tanahashi. He was never even going to be Okada. Um, and I, not that anybody knew that Okada was going to become, you know, one of the greatest of all time at that time, but it was very clear that in the company's mind, he was the next guy. It wasn't going to be Nakamura. Um, but I do think of all of that kind of generation, Nakamura is the one that translates the best to American TV if they just would have let him be Shinsuke Nakamura instead of turning him into this kind of caricature of Shinsuke Nakamura. I still think like his the best match that Nakamura has wrestled in the States and are under a WWE context was that first night against Sami Zayn and freaking NXT. Like that that was the the very best Shinsuke Nakamura that I've seen during his WWE run was that first match. Funny all downhill from there. Yep. So who is the greatest Japanese wrestler of all time? 
there's two names that I kind of elevate above everybody else once we get past, you know, the, those initial names, the Anokis and the Babas and and the Ricky Dozons. Um, for me, it's either Muda or Liger, and I can go either way, one at one or one at two, um, because I feel like their careers very much kind of parallel one another. And the way that they presented themselves to a global audience. Um, I think I probably put Mudo just a little bit higher, but man, but like when you see Jushin Liger show up inside of Madison square garden and everybody loves Jushin Liger when Liger is, you know, the, the guy who was featured on the wrestle kingdom poster for his retirement match and nobody cares about anything else on the card. Liger was a huge deal. First match on Nitro, Jushin Thunder Liger. Uh, WWE Hall of Famer, Jushin Thunder Liger. Uh, Chris Jericho, when he was in uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, Super Liger, right? Like he, everybody wanted to be Jushin Thunder Liger, but I feel like the great Muda, his presence, the gimmick, the presentation, the pageantry, as well as the in-ring work, I got to go with the great Muda, number one. Man, I was kind of tossing and turning on this one because I was initially thinking Misawa, Kawada, Kobashi, one of those three got to be considered. Then I'm like, I don't know, Liger's got to be up there. I love Fujinami. And I kept going back and forth on Muda and Okada. And it's almost like Okada changed New Japan's fortune, changed the business. They got them hot for 10 years. Awesome run. But to me, I know, I guess I want to disagree with you, but I almost can't. I got to go great Muda. He's just a God. What a legend. Everybody knows who he is. Dominant over here in the States, dominant over in Japan, probably the most popular wrestler ever in Japan. Um, I don't know. I just got to go Muda, but I feel like in five years, come back to me, it's probably going to change to Okada. I was going to say, you know, he's only 34. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe even come back in two years. I might change it to Okada. So yeah. he might still be the IWGP world heavyweight champion in two years. I Hopefully. mean, yeah. I don't, I've never felt like since I started watching Okada, even since like that first championship reign, he's the champ always, whether he has yep. the belt or not. He's a God. He's that guy. And he's uh, only 34. I love it. But let's head towards the plugs. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at two man power trip. Check out the website, tmptempire.com and Patreon, patreon.com slash tmptempire jargo. Social media at not Jargo, michaeljargo.com, destinopod.com, Wrestle Kingdom Review, incoming shortly. Nice, nice, good stuff. Thank you, as always, Jargo. Thank you, everybody out there, for listening. See you right back here next week for a little edition of Who Is? See this has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash TMPT Empire to become a patron. And also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two Man Power Trip, where the power lies brother.